The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to be back with you this morning in the Lord's house, worshiping. Uh, wonderful, wonderful time of worship we've had so far. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do through his word. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, If you have seen the handout or if you've seen uh, what this sermon is about, you can probably already guess where we're going, and I promise you it's not as negative as it seems, uh, but uh, it's it's a word I think that we all need. So Numbers chapter 11, uh, verse 1. A number of years ago, a farmer was traveling down a lone, lonely country road, and he had his faithful dog, Red, beside him. And uh, attached to his pickup truck was a horse wagon, and in his horse wagon was his favorite horse. And suddenly, as the farmer was driving along, he, he uh, swerved to miss a cat, and he ran off the road, and uh, his truck flipped over, the wagon flipped over, it threw him out, and he was lying there on the ground. He was pretty seriously hurt. His dog was pretty seriously hurt, and his horse was pretty seriously hurt as well. And this police officer drove up alongside, and he noticed something was wrong. And so he got out of his car, and he went up to the horse, and he saw that the horse was just almost dead. And he said, well, what else do I do? And so he decided to take out his revolver, and he shot the horse. And then he walked up to the dog, and he noticed the dog was badly injured. And he didn't know what else to do. He thought, well, I'll just shoot the dog as well. And so he shot the dog and put it out of its misery. And then he walked up to the farmer. And the farmer had seen what he had done to his horse and his dog. And he said, how are you? And the farmer said, I ain't never felt better. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's better just not to complain, isn't it? It's preferable not to complain. Uh, You and I can sometimes find ourselves in some situations where we want to complain. It's the normal human reaction to complain, to grumble, to murmur. But sometimes it's better that we don't complain. If there was anyone who failed to understand this truth, it was the Hebrew people, the people that Moses led out of the wilderness. You remember the Hebrew people. They were in bondage for some 400 years. And God saw their suffering. He saw their misery. And he said, I'm going to raise up Moses to lead them out. And that's exactly what God did. But after God led them out of bondage and led them into the wilderness toward the promised land, the people became very discouraged, and they began to grumble, and they began to complain. In fact, uh, they grumbled against Moses, the servant of God. And as a result of all of their grumbling and all of their complaining, again and again, they rebelled against God. God punished them, and they suffered at the hands of the Lord. As I think about what we have been through, these past few months, in fact, almost, almost half a year or more now, I think about how we, as God's people, can be subject to grumble or subject to complain. Now, I'm not making light of what we've been through as a nation or as a world, but, but sometimes when we go through difficulties like we've been through, we can be tempted to complain and to grumble and to question what God is doing, uh, to question if God understands what's going on in our life. We can become like the Hebrew people, when instead of grumbling and complaining, what the Lord would have us to do is to stop and, first of all, acknowledge our difficulties. 
recognize that we face difficulties. Uh, thirdly, tr- secondly, uh, trust, recognize that God has a greater plan. You know, what we're experiencing now is, is not just, uh, us, just the only thing that we'll experience, but God has a larger, greater plan that he wants to accomplish in our life. And thirdly, to trust that God will remove what we're going through, that difficulty or hardship that we're experiencing in his own good time. When we face difficulties and trials, the natural, normal human response is to grumble and complain, and yet God would have us to respond with faith and trust in him that he will ultimately see us through. You know, it's interesting as we look at the book of Numbers, we find this, this theme all throughout the book of Numbers where the people of God complain. In fact, you see a cycle and you see a pattern. If you read the book of Numbers very carefully, you can see that the people complain, the people grumble, God punishes the people, Moses prays for the people, and then God removes the punishment. There is this constant cycle, this constant pattern, this constant refrain where the people complain and it doesn't go well for them. I don't know about you, but when God puts something in Scripture one time, that catches my attention. But when God puts something in Scripture three or four or more times and there is a a reoccurring pattern, that really catches my attention. And so this morning, I want us to look at the book of Numbers, and I want us to focus on this theme of grumbling or complaining, that you and I might not follow the example of the Hebrews, but instead, we might be people of faith and respond as God would have us to respond. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful, Lord, for this morning, this day that you've given, Lord, where we can go to you, go to your word, and God, you can provide wisdom and guidance for us. God, there are so many things to be down about, so many things to grumble or to complain about this day, to murmur about, uh, Lord, because of what we have been through as a nation, as a world, God, even things in our individual lives. But I pray, Father, that today we would be a people who return to your book, who return to your word and say, Lord, how is it that you would have me to respond to what's going on around me? God, help me not to respond like the world. Help me not to respond in my flesh. But God, help me to respond as your word commands me to respond. Father, we pray this for our lives this day as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All throughout the book of Numbers, then, we find this repeated pattern, this repeated cycle where the people of God complain. God punishes the people for their grumbling, for their complaining. Moses prays for them, asking God to remove the punishment, and then God removes the punishment from them. I want to look at three passages briefly this morning that that shows this cycle or shows this pattern, then make some simple application after we look at these verses. First of all, I want you to notice Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, to, to set the context for this passage of Scripture. The setting is about two years after the Hebrew peoples have, Hebrew people have led, uh, have been led out of the will, have been led out of bondage, out of slavery. They are in the wilderness. Moses is leading them, and the people will complain. Uh, they'll complain for various reasons, but God will become angry. He will punish them with fire. Moses will pray for them, and then God will remove his punishment. Listen to what Moses writes here in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. 
and the fire died down. And so the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. This pattern is shown, is illustrated here in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. The people complained. God punished them for their complaining. Moses prayed on their behalf as an intercessor, and then God removed the punishment. The place was called Taborah because it was a place of burning where they experienced the punishment of God. We see this pattern again in Numbers chapter 16, verses 41 and following. Look over at Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, verse 41, 41 through 50, this is a more lengthy passage, but what is the setting of this passage, of Numbers chapter 16, verses 41 through 50? Well, there has just been a rebellion against Moses' leadership. A man named Korah, together with about 250 other prominent leaders, severely criticized the leadership of Moses. And in response, God killed Korah, he killed some 250 prominent leaders. And on the day after God punished these people, the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, blaming them for the rebels' death. God then sends a plague among the people, killing about 14,700 people, and yet Moses prays on the people's behalf, and the Lord removes the punishment. Now, that's a lot of details, but basically you see that cycle here that I talked about, that four-step cycle. Listen to what the writer, to what Moses records. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord, speaking of of Korah and the rebellers. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of the meeting. And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of the meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar, and lay the incense on it, and carry it quickly to the congregation, and make atonement for them, for the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who had died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who had died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of the meeting when the plague was stopped. So again, we have this cycle. We have this, we have this process where the people complain about Moses' leadership. The Lord becomes angry. He punishes them. Moses intercedes, and God withdraws his punishment. There's a final passage of Scripture that I want you to look at. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 9. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 9. What is the setting of this passage of Scripture? Well, in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, The Israelites, of course, are still in the wilderness. They're near this mountain called Mount Hor, and uh, it is a rough, rugged area southeast of the Dead Sea. It's a barren place, a desolate place. And as Moses sets sets out for the Promised Land, some of the people become impatient in their journey, and they grumble and they speak against uh, Moses uh, to God. In turn, God sends snakes among them and kills many. Moses prays for the people. God has Moses make a bronze serpent, and everyone who looks to the snake is healed. 
Listen to what Moses says here in chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the servants from, serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the bronze serpent and live. We see this pattern all throughout the book of Numbers. And I don't mean to read scripture passage as, as, and scripture passage to you over and over again, but a wise student of scripture will recognize that when God says something multiple times, he is trying to communicate something to his people, oftentimes through repetition, God is trying to drive home a point to his people. God would not have his people to be a people who complain or who murmur or who grumble against him, but rather he would have his people to be a thankful people for where he has placed them and where he is going to take them. How should the Hebrews have responded? Well, as I've said before, first of all, they should have acknowledged their difficulties. They should have recognized we do have difficulties. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's human. Their difficulties weren't illusions. Second of all, they should have, uh, they should have recognized that God had a greater sovereign plan. If you think about the, the plan that God uh, had enacted so far, he had delivered them out of bondage. He had taken them out of slavery. He had told them, I'm taking you to the promised land. And yet there was a journey that they had to take. They had to go through the wilderness to make it to the promised land. They should have seen God as sovereign and Lord, seen the bigger plan that God had for them. And finally, they should have trusted God to take them through the difficulties and ultimately to the promised land. That was the response that God would have had them to give, but instead, theirs was the response of grumbling and complaining. Well, as we look at the example of the Israelites in the wilderness, we may be tempted to ask, how could they have responded as they did? I mean, it's just human, and I've asked this before myself. Why did they respond as they did? How could they have complained against God uh, as they did? Well, it's hard to understand why they responded as they did, but in truth, we're very much like them. There are times in our lives as believers, even those of us who have been believers for many years, when we respond to the difficulties in our lives with complaining, with grumbling, with murmuring. Why is it that we as God's people sometimes respond as we do? Well, sometimes we complain because we complain when times just get difficult and we have enough of the difficulty. Sometimes we complain when life becomes difficult and hard. Maybe we don't have the money that we think that we need. Maybe there are multiple trials at one time and we complain to the Lord. Sometimes we complain because we don't have the comforts that we think that we need. You know, you take out heating and air, and all of us can get pretty nasty, can get pretty difficult if you think about it. I mean, I can be a pretty rational, sane guy, but you, you know, you put me in a hot room with no air conditioning in July, I can get pretty difficult, and you can too. I mean, we can complain sometimes when even the smallest of things come about in our lives. Sometimes we, have, we experience unforeseen obstacles or failures or hardships 
and we complain to the Lord. Sometimes we complain then because life gets difficult. Sometimes we complain when we disagree with God's leaders. You know, just like the Hebrews in Numbers chapter 16, our leaders sometimes can call upon us to do things and we can grumble and we can complain against them. Uh, sometimes our leaders will, will, will nudge us and they will go to us and say, share the gospel. We as God's people must be sharing the gospel. And we can become angry. We can say, well, how much are you sharing the gospel? How much did you go out this week and visit someone? You see, our leaders will sometimes challenge us to follow the word of God, to do, to do what the word commands us to do, like to share the gospel. And, and we can become offended and we can respond with grumbling and complaining. Sometimes our leaders might point out sin in our lives. None of us likes that. As spiritual as we like to sometimes think that we are, none of us likes to have someone confront us over sin. And yet sometimes that's what leaders do. Sometimes God calls upon them to confront us over sin in our lives. Maybe a grudge that we have against someone else. Maybe gossiping against someone else. Uh, maybe not serving as we should. And sometimes God can lead the leaders to come into our life and to say, listen, are you right with the Lord? Are you right with your brothers and sisters? Are you faithfully following the word of God? And sometimes when our leaders confront us over sin, we can complain and we can disagree with them. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there's never a time when you and I should not grumble or complain against a leader or not take issue with what a leader says. If a leader is telling us to do something that is not found in God's word, if a leader is telling us uh, that we should uh, follow their authority as opposed to the authority of scripture, that's a time to grumble. That's a time to, to, to have a, a negative response toward what is said, being said. But if a leader is simply trying to guide us to do what the word of God says, if the leader is trying to help us mature in Christ, you and I shouldn't respond with an attitude. You and I shouldn't grumble or complain or murmur, but rather we should humble ourselves and follow what our leaders call us to do. Sometimes that takes, takes time. Sometimes, sometimes it's not easy to submit to the authority of those that God has placed in our lives. But you and I should do that. You and I should be willing to do that because God will use leaders in our lives to, to strengthen us and, and to accomplish his purpose and to accomplish his will. You know, sometimes we respond with complaining when things get difficult. Sometimes we respond with complaining when we disagree with God's leaders, but other times we complain when we become impatient with God's plan. To me, this relates to back to Numbers chapter 21, where the people were told, we're leading you to the promised land and yet they became impatient with the plan of God. Sometimes you and I can do the very same thing. You know, we can read about the blessings of God in the scriptures. We can be thinking about heaven. We can think about what, what needs to take place in our lives, what God should be doing in our lives, and God doesn't bring about the blessing that we think we need right now, and we can, we can complain. We can become very impatient with the Lord. We can become frustrated with the Lord's Plans. But the Lord is telling us to wait. The Lord is telling us to be patient. The Lord is telling us, I will supply what you need, when you need, as you need it. But you and I, sometimes when we don't get what we want, just when we want it, we can complain and we can grumble. Yet the prophet Jeremiah tells us that the Lord is good to those who wait on him. Indeed, he is, so wait on him. And in God's timing, 
God will provide exactly what we need. You know, sometimes we can become guilty of doing the same sin, of committing the same sin as the Hebrews did, this sin of grumbling and complaining against God or against God's leaders or against God's people. And you and I need to pause just for a moment and to think about how serious grumbling is or how serious complaining is. You know, I was thinking through Scripture, I was thinking this week as I was preparing for today, is it okay for God's people to complain or to grumble? Now, there are times when we have to respond to leaders uh, not in the way that they want us to respond to them when they're doing something wrong or calling us to do something wrong, or there are times when we should become upset with the situation. But, I think about, but as I think about the Christian life, I mean, grumbling should not be a part of the Christian life. Complaining should not be a part of the Christian life. As I think about the fruits of the Spirit, uh, they're, they're the, the exact opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Grumbling and complaining are the exact opposite of what it means to be filled and controlled by God's Spirit. And so grumbling can be and complaining can be a very serious matter in the Christian life. Now, why is grumbling and why is complaining so serious? Well, I can give you several reasons why I think it's so serious. First of all, grumbling will hinder growth in the church. When you and I complain, when you and I grumble, it hinders the growth of the church, whether that is spiritual growth or whether that is numerical growth. Let me ask you something just for a moment here. I don't want to see a show of hands, but how many of you have ever learned in a context, in a church context, how many have ever grown spiritually in the context of a local church where the pastor, where the leaders, where the Sunday school teachers, where those around you were constantly complaining and grumbling? I'm I'm not looking for a show of hands, but I doubt that many people, if anybody, is going to raise their hands. We don't grow spiritually in a context where there is grumbling and there is complaining. There is submission to God's word. There is acceptance of what God has brought. There is a willingness to to suffer, to live, and to endure as God calls us to live and to endure the difficulties that are brought into our life. But spiritual growth doesn't happen where there is grumbling and where there is complaining. It just doesn't. Uh, it doesn't, it's not, not consistent with the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. And so there's not spiritual growth where there is complaining, but there's also not numerical growth. I mean, if you just want to think about churches that grow, churches that grow, there is not a spirit of grumbling or complaining in those churches. You know, my wife and I have had to go and visit new churches, and uh, we've moved different places is what I'm trying to say, and we've had to find a new church. And you've had that experience before. I mean, all of you have moved to a new town or a new city, and you've had to find a new church. I, I, would, I doubt that any of you put on your list of things that you're looking for a church where everybody complains. Has it ever been on your list, number one, where everybody complains? No, you know, my wife and I have never sat there and said, you know what, number one, we want a church where people grumble where they complain. That's, that's exactly what we're looking for. No. I mean, what are we looking for? I mean, we're looking for a place where they preach the Word of God, where the pastor is a person of integrity, where there's love, where there's harmony, maybe where there's a good children's program or a, a program for, for students or for youth or something, depending on how old our kids are. But no one sits down and says, I am looking for a church where the people are grumbling and complaining. No one does that. And you don't do that either. And so when we talk about grumbling, how serious it is, and when we talk about how grumbling hinders the growth of the church, it hinders both the spiritual growth of the church, 
but it also hinders just the numerical growth of the church because people don't want to go where the people are grumbling and complaining. They want to go where it's a place marked by harmony, where it's a place marked by love, and where people are forgiving and gracious toward one another. Well, grumbling is important. Complaining is important because it will hinder the growth of the church. But complaining is also important. It's also a serious matter because it will cause disunity in the church. Grumbling often pits one person against another. And then after one person is pitted against another, groups are pitted against another. And the groups grow, and and the grumbling grows, and and the the vision and the disharmony grows. Sometimes it is just a small word of complaining, a small word of grumbling that causes great disunity in the church. And what what do we complain about? Well, I didn't like what he said. I didn't like the way he just walked past me and ignored me. I don't like the way that she ministers. I don't like the way that they sing. I don't like the way they do this or that. I know what their real motives were. Their real motives were this as opposed to that. You and I have to be careful that we are discerning, that we recognize problems, that when there are problems, when there are issues, we address those problems and we lovingly call for correction. I'm not suggesting that we just let problems or difficulties or sin be swept aside. But if it's just something petty or if it's just a critical spirit that you or I have, we must be careful that we we don't show that in an ungodly way because it will bring disunity and disharmony in the church. Well, complaining is a serious matter because it hinders the growth of the church it causes disunity in the church. Finally, thirdly, I should say, it's, it's a serious matter because it will keep anything in the church from being done. It will keep any real progress from being done. Think back to the Israelites just for a moment. When they grumbled, when they complained, what real progress did they make as far as going to the promised land? What real progress did they make? None, right? I mean, either, either they were complaining against Moses or they were getting bitten by snakes, right? I mean, are they going forward or backwards? They're not going forward to me. I mean, I'm not real smart, but they're not progressing, right? So where there, where there is conflict, where there is disharmony, where there is unity, truly the work of God is not getting done, and the people of God are not going forward. Again, there are times to confront sin. There are times to confront problems. There are ways to work through problems. That's not what I'm talking about. Because sometimes there are real problems and issues in the church, and we need to address those. But just ungodly grumbling, ungodly murmuring, ungodly complaining doesn't help the people of God, the church of God, go forward. That was true in the life of the Hebrews. That's also true in your life and my life. These are all reasons. I'll share with you all reasons why grumbling, why complaining are such a serious matter in the house of God among the people of God. There's a final reason I want to share with you, and I think... I think really it's the most serious, and it's something that we should, we should think about, that we should meditate on. Sometimes grumbling is such a serious matter, complaining is such a serious matter, because it reveals a heart that is self-centered rather than God-centered. It reveals a rebellious heart, a sinful heart against the Lord. Now, we can talk all day about the sins of the Hebrews. We can talk all day about the, just the general uh, seriousness of grumbling and complaining, but this is very personal. Sometimes when you and I complain and we grumble against God and we grumble about the difficulties that he brings in our life, it reveals that there is a rebelliousness in our heart. It reveals that there is a self-centeredness in our heart and not a God-centered focus 
in our life. You see, sometimes when we grumble and we complain, it's just because we're human, but sometimes there's really a deeper problem there. We're more concerned about our own well-being. We're more concerned about what's best for us rather than God accomplishing his will in our life. And what is God's greater purpose for you and for me? And what is the plan of God? What is it that God would have us to be focused on? Well, God would have you and me to be focused on the kingdom. God would have you and me to be focused on what he ultimately wants to accomplish. You see, you and I are often looking just at the blessings that we want or that we don't have right now, but God is thinking big picture of the blessings that he wants to grant not just to us, but to all the peoples of the earth who will acknowledge his son as Savior and Lord. But we often become fixated on that simple problem, that simple difficulty that's going on in our life, and it leads us to complain, and it leads us to grumble. If you would just think for a moment as your life as a book, if you would just think of your life as a book, as a book with many chapters, and the chapters, each chapter represent different periods in your life. Maybe one chapter is your childhood, maybe one chapter is your teenage years, maybe one chapter is your, your adult life, one chapter would have your conversion to Christ in there. But think of your life as a series of chapters, divided into chapters. There's not a chapter in your life that will not be marked with difficulties. I just want to tell you that, okay? There, there is not... Uh, people talk about the golden years, and those of you who are in your golden years, you know the golden years aren't always so golden. Sometimes young people just think, man, if I, could just, if I could just be in high school, right, then I can drive, and then life will be good, okay? I mean, every, every age thinks if I can just get to there or be at this age, things are going to be great. The reality is every chapter of your life and every chapter of my life has difficulties, in truth, some chapters have more difficulties than others. But you and I need to understand that we can't control the difficulties that will come. Some of the difficulties will come upon us, and we will not bring those difficulties. We will do nothing to bring those difficulties in our lives. Some really hard things, health issues, uh, difficulties with our children, difficulties with our spouse. There are some difficulties, Christian, that come into your life that you had nothing to do with. They come on your life and you are faced with very, very hard circumstances. And the only thing that you can really control, the only thing that you really have mastery over is your response. Either you can have a response of faith where you look to the Lord, or you can have a response where you uh, grumble, where you complain. You know, the normal, natural human response is for you and I to grumble or to complain. But how would God have his people to respond? Well, God would have us to acknowledge our difficulty. Please don't walk away this morning thinking that I'm just saying just be tough, uh, just memorize some Bible verses and everything will be okay. You are going to experience some difficulties in this life as a believer and they are going to be very, very hard. And so my first word of counsel to you would be acknowledge the difficulties, recognize the difficulties. God sees your difficulties as real. He is mindful of the hardships that you're going through, of the loss of the pain. Second of all, I would counsel you to recognize that God has a greater sovereign plan. The difficulty that you see before you is just that. It's the difficulty in front of your eyes. It's a part of God's plan for your life. I would even say that God has 
brought this into your life. He has allowed this to happen. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that there is nothing that befalls us that surprises God, that he was not aware of, uh, that, that he does not control. And so God knew that this was coming about, and he's brought this into your life. And you and I must come to the place where we recognize that God has a greater sovereign plan. And he is going to complete his plan in our life. This is just one chapter, but this is not the end of the book. I mean, the, at the end, toward the end, you and I are with the Lord Jesus in heaven. In fact, if, if we're even more accurate and even more realistic, the life that we live on this earth is just a very small portion of that greater book because all of eternity is a part of that book that God has written for us. And so this, re, in reality, is just a few chapters that we live here, but most of the chapters will be lived with the Lord. So we acknowledge the difficulty. We recognize that God has a greater sovereign plan. And then thirdly, we trust God to remove the difficulty when he sees fit. We wait on the Lord. We wait in quiet humility. We, we trust the Lord to see us through this time of difficulty, regardless of what it is. God wants us to have a response of faith. You know, why is it so important that you and I respond as people of faith? when, as, as people who follow the scriptures, as people who follow, say, the example of Christ or follow the Apostle Paul as opposed to following the Hebrews. Why is it so important? Well, I think, first of all, it's important for our own spiritual maturing. If you and I are going to mature in Christ, when God brings these difficulties in our lives, when we respond with faith, when we put the example of Jesus before us and we respond in faith, there is a spiritual growth that God brings about in our lives. There is a maturity that God brings about in our lives. Some of you exactly know exactly what I'm talking about. God has led you through difficulties. He has led you through hardships. He has led you through suffering. Some things that you did not even bring upon yourself. And you've not been perfect. You've not always responded as you should. But as God has given you strength, you have humbled yourself and you've submitted your difficulties to the Lord, your hardship to the Lord, rather than to complain. And God has seen you through that difficulty and he has caused you to mature. He has strengthened you. He has made you into a great man or woman of God because of the difficulties in your life and how he has worked in your life because of your response of faith. So it's important that you and I respond with faith and trust in God for our own spiritual benefit, for our own spiritual growth. But you know what? It's also important for the spiritual benefit and the spiritual growth of those around us. Maybe you've never thought of this before, but people are watching you. There are Christians who are watching you. There are lost people who are watching you. And they notice when difficulties come into your lives. And your response, when it's a response of grumbling or complaining, it teaches some people about Christianity. It teaches some people about your relationship with the Lord, perhaps what it should not be, perhaps what it should be. And their spiritual growth is either, either they, are, they progress in their spiritual growth or they're hindered in their spiritual growth. A number of years ago, I went through this really hard time in my life, this really challenging time, and uh, it, there was no way to hide it. So my wife knew about it, my kids knew about it. It wasn't something that I did, it wasn't something that I, that I I brought about on myself. This was the case where difficulty came on me, and there was no way to be secret or to hide about it. And I never forget, my wife was trying to give me counsel, and she said, 
Your children are watching you, and they're watching your response. I cannot tell you how that convicted me. She meant that as a statement of faith. She meant that to encourage me to respond with trust and faith in the Lord. And what she said was true. Parents, whether or not you realize that your children are watching your response to the difficulties in your life. Are you a person of faith? Listen, they're going to become the person of faith that you are or the person of faith that you're not. Husbands, do you know that your wives are watching you for how you respond to difficulties? Are we always perfect? Am I always perfect? No way. Sometimes I grumble and complain like I shouldn't. But you are influencing your spouse's faith by how you respond to difficulties. And you and I should be people who follow the example of Christ, who when he was sent to this earth to suffer for the sins of humanity, a righteous man who died, who suffered, who died for sinners, he was willing to humble himself and to endure what God had brought in his life for the greater good of salvation of many. You and I should therefore be people who follow the example of Christ and not grumble and complain when God brings difficulties in our lives, but rather we should respond with faith and a trust in him to remove that difficulty in his good times. And not just remove it, but to use that difficulty to grow us in faith and to be a witness for him with everyone who sees us. Would you pray with me? Father, we're, we're convicted by the example of the Hebrews because, Lord, we are very much like them at times. I pray, Father, for your people who are here this day. Lord, I pray for myself. God, that grumbling, even though it might be present in our lives, complaining might be present in our lives because we're human, God, it would not be a pattern. It would not be something that people see repeated over and over and over in our lives. It would not be something that our wives see. It would not be something that, that uh, husbands see. It would not be something that our children see, that our lost coworkers see. But I pray, Father, that what they see would be people who humble themselves before you and willingly take what you have brought in their lives, looking to see the greater purpose, the greater plan that you are trying to fulfill, Lord, in whatever difficulty or trial might come. God, help us to be a people who set the example of Jesus Christ, his suffering, his death before us, and follow that example. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.